Thanks for pressing play. This is Christopher Lockhead, Follow Your Different. And this is, say, not a typical interview podcast. Far from it. It's for people who value real, different conversations. Dialogues that we hope inspire you to design a legendary business and a legendary life. On today's episode, the incomparable security guru, Morgan Wright. We're sponsored by Oracle NetSuite. Learn how to turbocharge the growth of your business today at netsuite.com slash different. That's netsuite.com slash different. Now, Morgan, I think you're going to love this guy. I sure do. Um, He's got an incredible background in law enforcement and security. He was a senior advisor to the U.S. State Department on anti-terrorism. He was a law enforcement and police officer for over 18 years. And uh, today he's an opinion writer for The Hill, And you've probably seen him on TV. He's on TV all the time. This is a fun, funny, informative, and I would even say terrifying conversation. We talk about Russia, China, what's going on with AI, uh, what recently went down with this thing you might have heard of called FaceApp and what the Russians are up to. Um, And a conversation with with Morgan is a little bit like ADHD theater. Imagine if... um, Imagine if Bill Walton, the legendary basketball player, was a security guru. And that's kind of what Morgan Wright is like hanging out with, and I love it. <laughs> also, listen closely for our dis- uh, part of the discussion where Morgan talks about quantum encryption. For more, check out Lockhead.com and the show notes for this episode. Now, hey-ho, let's go. You wouldn't believe, uh, in fact, the most dangerous stuff is called carfentanil. And they got some of that stuff in there. Oh, yes. It's called carfentanil. It's fentanyl. And uh, so fentanyl is one of the opioids that can kill you. So carfentanil, is they say, is the most dangerous stuff. They say basically a gram of that stuff could kill 20 people in a room almost instantly. And wow. this is this, and th- a lot of this stuff is coming in from China. So I've been watching this to see. What are the concealment methods? How are they trying to get it through? You know, what's the packaging and stuff? And so um, it, uh, that's one of the reasons I started watching it. But yeah, it's 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 interesting. I did, you know, I've worked a lot of, uh, I don't want to say fun cases because some of them weren't fun, but it's fun when you look back and you realize these things were very unique and, and they were very interesting. Um, I used to teach uh, behavior analysis and interview and interrogation. And one of the places I taught it was out at the National Security Agency. So I ended up teaching the damage assessment agents from the Alder James, Harold James Nicholson, Earl Edwin Pitts espionage cases. And so what damage assessment agents do is that when espionage happens, that's literally what they do. They come in to assess the damage. How, ma- how many of our secrets got released? You know, what kind of uh, what classification level was it? Whose hands potentially are they in? They do the damage assessment. Like when you drop bombs, they do the BDA, the bomb damage assessment. This is the damage assessment. And so there are lots of there are and I've got a couple buddies. One of them spent 30 years in the agency and he retired as the chief of station in Moscow. We were talking about Vladimir Putin earlier, comrade Ochimbriana Tavares, Nuboruska. Yeah. Um, So listening to this case. Cuatro tequila, por favor. Por favor, mi español es peligroso. Lo siento, mi trabajo por cinco meses es en Bogotá, Colombia. So I can I can just roll it off my tongue, amigo. You can just roll from Russian. Right, right in, right into uh, Spanish. Yeah, I got no Russian, so I just figured I'd roll some Spanish on you. My favorite yeah. Spanish. <laughs> My favorite. Or we could do, you know, parlez-vous français. Comment parlez-vous? Ça va bien. Moi, je parle français. Ça, ce n'est pas un problème pour moi. 
See, there's there now you've got friends. How about uh, German sprechen die Deutsch? Guten guten Herrlocke, was ist los? And I only know one word in Swedish. Yeah, it's the Swedish word for brazier. And stop it is? Them, stop them from flopping. <laughs> I just want to see that on the Swedish national volleyball team. Yeah, here's what I learned. That joke is funny almost every, anywhere except in Sweden. They just don't get it. They don't get it. <laughs> um, yeah, but, but it's, the, I was trying to describe you to somebody earlier. I was telling a buddy of mine that we were going to do this, and this was your, I don't know, it's at least your third. Maybe it's your fourth. I don't know, but third. Yeah, awesome. I think you should come back on a more regular basis. Uh, but I was trying to describe you as like this law enforcement, heavy duty, all this stuff. And as I was describing your background, I'm like, but he's the funniest guy. You would think he would be an uptight drill sergeant, no personality. He, he's the, I said, Morgan's a cartoon character. Yeah. You got your dog on your shoulder. You know, this is, I told you, this is Jack Bauer. Get it? Bauer. Oh, Jack right. Bauer. Jack That's Bauer. right. How could I Please forget talk. about Jack Bauer? Yeah. The dog, the, the, uh, the interrogation dog. That's right. So, hey, I did want to ask you about Putin. I, I have this thing, you know, every time something goes wrong with my technology, I just assume that it's Putin. Um, good, and, good, good, good guess. Good guess. And we had um, billionaire entrepreneur Tom Siebel on the podcast not long ago. He was written this new book called Digital Transformation. Mm-hmm. Um, it's excellent. Although I kept wanting to call it digital transportation. I almost got it wrong when I was talking <laughs> to him. But, and I actually read the book. It's a very good book. And in the one of the final chapters here, chapter eight, he starts off with this quote I wanted to read to you by Vladimir Putin in September 2017. Quote, artificial intelligence is the future, not only for Russia, but for all humankind. Whoever becomes the leader in this sphere will become the ruler of the world. That is actually in two of my articles I wrote for The Hill. I've actually used that exact same quote. And he's right. So this this scares the shit out of me. What, what do you what do you think's going on uh, in the AR arms on the AI arms race? So there's a couple things going on. So one of the things we look at is the impact of AI and machine learning and what what it can do for disinformation. So um, I wrote a couple things. I started looking at deep fakes long ago. Not not for this Scarlett Johansson. Hey, you make porn stuff out of it. I said. What if I could show a video that appeared to be the commanding general of CENTCOM telling his troops to stand down, hold on a minute, we got something going on, and then that was just long enough for one of our adversaries to launch a strategic attack against us because we believed that the general was giving an order to say, you know, whoa, hold on. Or you've got a you got a president of the United States, doesn't matter who it is, saying something so incendiary that it, that it that it incites something. How do you disprove? How do you prove a negative? How do you prove I didn't say this? And so you think about all the stuff you have to go through. So there's that piece. The other piece of AI that worries me greatly is the offensive capability of what uh, is going on with Google and Microsoft in China right now, the way Russia is building. Uh, they actually have, if you remember RoboCop, you know, I do. They have, their, they have their version of RoboCop. That was in one of the articles I wrote. I looked at, they actually created a robot that was supposed to be used for the Sputnik, the Soyuz space station. And they're supposed to be the first, uh, you know, astronauts, astrobots that went up into space that was completely unmanned mission. Well, these things, the way they showed them is there's a video on YouTube. These things actually have a gun out and they're shooting this gun and it is dead accurate, just like it was with RoboCop. So 
there's a thing called laws, the lethal autonomous weapon systems. And there was a, supposed to be a convention from the UN talking about the use of artificial intelligence for doing this. But that's the part that scares me is that the U.S. military from an ethics standpoint says that we will always have a human in the loop. There will always be a human in the loop that makes the go, no go, fire, don't fire, shoot, don't shoot kind of decision when it comes to the use of AI. AI can process things, get you to that point quicker, faster. But China and Russia are removing kind of those limitations. They're like removing the safeties off of the torpedoes. They're firing these things. So when we start thinking about what the real impact of AI could be, it could be from a uh, psychological standpoint. It could be from a disinformation standpoint. It could be from a kinetic standpoint. And so when you combine all those three things together, um, we are the good guys. We fight with one hand tied behind our back. But let me tell you, there is a concept in China, for example, called civil military fusion. Anything that is developed in China is not suggested. It's not sort of. It is expected that you will share it with the Chinese military, the People's uh, Republic of China and the military. That means so when Google says, oh, well, we don't direct, you know, it's we don't directly support them. Well, no, it's not. I don't directly support the cartels. But if I buy dope from a dope dealer, it ends up in the hands of the cartels. I may indirect. So eventually it ends up back there. Well, all of the stuff that Google, that Microsoft, that everybody's building in China is being shared with the Chinese military, at the same time, Google is pulling out a Project Maven. Microsoft will not sell facial recognition technology to U.S. law enforcement. So, what kind of bullshit is that? You know, this this where did they think they where did they think they created their wealth? It was in the United States of America. It wasn't in um, it wasn't in Germany. It wasn't in France. It sure as hell wasn't in Russia or China. They built it here. Yet we now have to worry about our troops that are downrange having to fight. Armies that are equipped with technology that are supplied by American companies, but they can't get the same technology from the same American companies. Uh, you know, look, I, I agree with you. And I, I I know what's going on, I think. I think what's going on is some of these companies are worried about our government. And I think some of the things that have happened since the Patriot Act and, you know, learning how surveilled we are and all these things mm-hmm. spooked the shit out of a lot of us, myself included. And so they say, well, we're not going to sell our technology to the U.S. government to do, you know, for for def- let's call it defense. But the reality is it's war. And interestingly enough, if I go back to Sewell for a second, he had a, a, a fascinating point of view on this. And I, if I remember right, I, I could be wrong. I, mm-hmm. you know, consume a tremendous amount of alcohol, as you know. Um, but I, I think this his comment was directed at Google um, where he said, so let me understand this. The company that monetized the Internet and the Internet was created by the U.S. government now won't sell its technology back to the government to protect our country. And he was pretty angry about it. Mm-hmm. And it, even if it wasn't Google, he was angry of he was angry of companies who, who take this position. Yep. And so how do you think about that in terms of on one hand, we want to provide technology to our government to protect us and keep us safe? But at the same time, we do have a U.S. government that does surveil every phone call we make and uh, they know everything we do digitally and and so forth and so on. So how do you think about it? Well, actually, let's be clear about something. Um, so when the NSA works, they don't surveil every call we make. What they what they do is they surveil the calls that uh, either have a nexus from overseas that are coming in or from here overseas. They cannot uh, look. There have always been mistakes in a program. But you cannot, spy, you cannot spy on the day-to-day activities of American citizens inside America. The, the, the authorities, the law don't allow for that. Now, everything the NSA has does. Are, are you fairly confident that they're not yeah, you know, tracking yeah. when I call you on my cell phone, they don't know that I called you? 
they, there was a metadata program that they were sharing that will probably not get renewed this December because, quite frankly, even uh, – look, I'm one of those people too. You can collect all that information, but unless you can show me that we're really doing something with it, that it's moving the needle, that we're solving something, even the NSA saying, look, it is such a burden from a regulation standpoint, from a reporting standpoint, a compliance standpoint, uh, uh, an oversight standpoint. They're ready to get rid of the program. I say that to say this, is that if you think what Edward Snowden revealed and stuff is bad – you try to turn on a cell phone in China. The minute you turn on a cell phone in China, it is compromised. You turn it on in Russia, it's compromised. You want to talk about being surveilled? How about the fact that Huawei and ZTE are supplying all the equipment, not only to China, but to Maduro, for him to be able to so- to monitor all of his citizens using the same social credit program that they're using in China? By the way, um, if we want to talk about surveillance, let's talk also about freedom of the press. China, Russia rank near the the ass bottom of freedom of the press. And so the reason you don't hear about stuff going on in China and Russia, you know why? Because they kill people for doing it. We we haven't killed a reporter since, I don't know, 1776. I don't know. It's like some Canadian told on Washington that he was going to attack something. I think we shot him. But, you know, that was <laughs> that was years ago, mate. You know, but, I, but what I, I'm saying I, is- I shooting Canadians in America wasn't against the law anyway. <laughs> <laughs> what well, depends, you know, no. But we haven't shot – Nate, when's the last time we took a reporter out, tied them to a wall, and shot them? It doesn't happen here. But people well, think it doesn't happen. But that's Although what I'm saying. there it's, are reporters who don't don't like our current president. Yeah, but you know what? There are reporters – that that's going to be that way anytime. You know, but by the way, yeah. but, if that, but if this was Putin, how many reporters have disappeared in Russia? Oh, it's terrifying. Yeah, same and, thing in and, China. And, and I'm curious to ask you, you know, so China has this essentially uh, social scoring system mm-hmm. where they score you on how in line you are with what they want, how you how how you're supposed to behave. Right. Yep. And and so essentially they've created a surveillance. It's, it's it, it, look, you tell me it's 1984 over there, isn't it? Now look, 1984 is a walk in the park compared to what they're doing. It's worse than 1984 because there is they have automated everything. 1984, when you go back and look at it, there was a lot of still manual processes. It was double speak, you know. It was you know double plus good. And I just watched that movie again. It, it is so eerie about you know the, the way things work. But you're right. This is this is this is beyond 1984. This would be yeah. what this 1984 is kind of where they started. So think about how it would progress, how it would look today. And they're, they're looking at everything. They, they require you to use a lot of the, the government wants you to use their apps. Why? Because they can now tell you who's tweeting, who's putting information out. They can track you back. There's no such thing as anonymity uh, anymore in there. VPNs, virtual private networks that used to work, don't work in China anymore. In fact, I think it's down to four. Four VPN providers are the only one that can still get out through the great firewall of China. So, I mean, yeah, you talk about a lack of transparency and surveillance. The fact is, is that you don't hear about that stuff over there because it's the freedom of the press. It's the way they do things. There is no oversight. The central committees in, in Russia and China and the Politburo, you know, you think that there's you think there's public hearings in Russia on what happened? Well, like with this submarine, this nuclear submarine that just went to us, there will be no there will be no public hearings on what. But in the United States, there would be public hearings. Canada, yeah. there would be. Australia, yep. there would be Britain, there would be there, but it does not happen in uh, communist or near communist countries like uh, Russia and uh, China. And so what do you, you mentioned Huawei, you know, there's been a lot of talk about not selling Huawei phones in the United States. That's one dimension. But the other one, of course, is and I don't know their entire product line off by heart or anything, but they sell a ton of Internet infrastructure mm-hmm. 
And um, are they allowed to, are we allowed to buy Huawei infrastructure components in the United States right now? Do you know, Morgan? No, you can't, you can't buy anything. There, yeah, Huawei's prohibited now, and you you have to start applying now to get a license for U.S. companies to sell to Huawei so they can buy technology. The way many countries are approaching Huawei, look, I used to work at uh, Bell Labs, Alcatel-Lucent, so I had all the smart people. We were building out these networks. So in 5G, you're going to basically have what's called the 5G core. That's the brains of it. That's what makes the whole network work. And then you've got the dumb pieces, the, the antennas, the radio access network. So when you're out driving around and you see a tower and it's got all these nodes on there, that's that's the cell phone tower, but that's the dumb piece. The smart piece is the brains. It's the 5G core. That's what they don't want Huawei being able to put inside the networks. They say, okay, we can buy the radio antennas, you know, basically the the the, the uh, ran what they call the radio access network. We can buy that, but we can't. We're not going to allow. Written was a one who said, hey, look, we're going to use the radio access network pieces, but we're not going to allow the installation of the core inside Great Britain, because that's where you siphon off information. That's where you can look traffic analysis, you know, et cetera, all these things. So, but I will tell you, this has been a long time coming. China's uh, economy has been superheating. Uh, They've now had the worst growth since 1992. They've lost 5% of their millionaires. Uh, These sanctions have had the effect, which is we need to bring China down a notch. They have too much power. They're exerting too much influence. Their digital Silk Road initiative, where they're getting into all these countries, it is diplomacy, by debt financing, and they are taking over these countries and ports because they loan you the money. You can't pay them back, and then they come in and they take over because they have just done uh, uh, you know, diplomacy through debt, and now you can't afford to pay it back. Some of the countries said, no, we're not going to do it, but some of them have been sucked into this. So that is what – that's China's – this is the difference. I'll tell you the difference. The difference between how China plays ball and how we play ball, we'll play chess. We'll think, oh, it's about chess. It's about strategic moves, and at the end, we have a winner. Are you familiar with the game Go that the Chinese play? No, I don't know that at all, Morgan. You should look this up. It is one of the most complicated, sophisticated games you'll ever play. It's called Go, just G-O. And recently, AI was able to beat a grandmaster in Go for the first time, you know, ever. But Go is is about acquisition. It's about grabbing things. It's about lulling you into a false sense of security. And then taking over everything. So the Chinese are playing Go. We're playing chess. We think it's about being an ultimate winner. They think, no, it's about slow but steady but acquisition. So we have a five-year plan. They got a 50-year plan. We have a 10-year plan. They have a 100-year plan. Well, and I was recently on um, Bob Evans' podcast, Cloud Wars Live, and we were talking about exactly this. And we dug up some numbers. I'm pulling them up as we're talking. Um China right now is from 2013 to 2018 uh, was 60% of all global investment in AI. And the AI uh, market in China was 20, almost 24 billion um, in 17. And that was, that represented 67% growth. And um, their AI industry is um, projected to be growing now at over in excess of 75%. And this was the thing Siebel said. Tom Siebel's point of view was we are in an arms race. Mm-hmm. The new war is AI. And uh, while Russia is scary, China is a lot scarier. And he said, we are losing the AI arms race. Is that your perspective? Is that what you're telling me here? So I don't know if we're losing it yet. I think it's like watching the Tour de France. You know, it's like 
hey, we're we're not, you know, we're in the Peloton, but we're behind the leaders right now. Can do we have enough horsepower? I think we'll get there. You know, a lot of it will depend. So we're like uh, edging, getting closer. I'll tell you what I'm worried about, though, is also China's emphasis on quantum encryption. And they've just built a brand new facility. So wow, one of the articles I wrote for The Hill was about uh, modern Bletchley Park, because if you remember from World War Two, Bletchley Park was where we did the code breaking. It's where we broke the Germans enigma. And I said, what we need is a modern day uh, Bletchley Park, because what's happened is China is investing so much money in this between AI and quantum computing and quantum encryption. They've now created the first quantum satellite communication network that is it's unbreakable. You can't break it. And that's the scary piece, too, is to have a community and for the NSA and the CIA and our other intelligence agencies to have a communication network that is absolutely impenetrable. That's that's a huge game changer. You add that with AI. It becomes a huge force multiplier. Look, China can walk a, a, a million soldiers into the sea and not feel a thing. We walk a million soldiers into the sea and we've lost 50 percent of our fighting force. You know, so there are by by the way, too, I was talking to some friends of mine in the Air Force. We're talking about um, like the uh, this gets into a discussion I want to have with you a little bit later about people who build products and they go, I've got this great app built. Now, let me go find a problem for it to solve. Well, that was the F-22. The F-22 Raptor, they built it. They said, well, it'll be great in a air war with China. Well, here's the problem. How are you going to get it to China? You can't – You by the time you fly over the ocean and refuel five times, your pilots are dead tired. You try and put them in some of the bases like Guam you know, and, and places like that. They'll just bomb the shit out of those things, and then those bases are gone. So the, the myth that the F-22 will be superior in combat, it will. But how do you get it there? It's like how did the turtle get up on the fence post? It doesn't get there by itself. Excuse my total ignorance, but I'm assuming you can't launch this thing off an aircraft carrier. Um, they're a little bit, yeah, they're a little bit more different to launch uh, off of an aircraft carrier as opposed to like, you know, the F-16 and, you know, F-18, you know, the Super Hornet, stuff like that, that are carrier-based yeah. aircraft. Yeah, these things, these things, because of the, uh, because uh, of the uh, weapon systems and the other stuff like that, they need more revets and land-based type of stuff. Yeah. So I want to – I don't want to skate past uh, quantum encryption. Mm-hmm. You're talking to a guy who, you know, math was over for me in grade three. So <laughs> – How high can you count? Can you count any higher? Sure. One, two, three, four, five. Yeah, yeah exactly. I can raise my arm up and get to ten. That's about – I love your sense of humor. So so educate me like I'm a drunken eight-year-old. Um, what, it, the, what the hell is quantum <laughs> encryption here, Morgan? So let's so quantum. When we start talking quantum, we're talking about basically particles of light. It's no longer bits and bytes and ones and zeros. Like you know, now we're dealing with particles of light. And there's this unique thing they call quantum entanglement. Which so and here's here's the scary. This is like this is like freaking voodoo magic. You're sitting there on one side of the screen. I'm sitting on the other side of the screen. We're physically separated by 2,400 miles right now. But in quantum entanglement. If I change the state of a photon over here, it would change on your side automatically. They are entangled together in a quantum universe. How this happens, Einstein said it was basically black magic. It was the dark arts. Um, and so this is so what we're talking about now are, are particles of light as opposed to digit bits and bytes, you know, on a computer. So um, so this, are they storing excuse my total ignorance, but I mean zeros and ones is a way to store data, right? Mm-hmm, yeah. So are we storing data on particles of light? Like what are yeah. we doing with Part. That's yeah. what we're doing. Yeah. So that, so when you start talking about quantum computing and quantum encryption and stuff, we're actually storing data uh, like like they would do with uh, 
you know, I'm, and don't get me wrong, I'm not, I did a bunch of research on this so I could write the articles, you know, become halfway conversant. But, you know, the difference between this, it's something that's digital, that sits, that's electrical, as opposed to now it's light, it's photons. And so it's this, but what's weird is that if you and I have two, um, two files, and I change the file on one side, it has to sync and go through all that stuff like we use Dropbox, and it'll eventually sync up on that side. The scary thing about this is that if, 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 here's the thing, too, is if I change one little particle, if I change that at all, it tells you that this entire thing has been compromised. So now, you know, if somebody's attempted to break it. So mm. the quantum encryption, the quantum computing, if they get to the point to where quantum computing is uh, can be commercially sustained, this will break our most advanced cur- encryption that fast. I mean, there will be nothing safe. The, the advanced encryption that our military uses, that we use to protect ourselves with the end-to-end encryption and communication, you'll break you'll break that in milliseconds. And you think they have a significant advantage o- over the United States on this? Yeah, because they are spending billions of dollars. They've established, uh, I think it's an 80,000 square foot facility or an 800,000 square foot facility. I mean, it is freaking huge. They put $25 billion into this to address quantum computing. Twenty-five billion. Yeah, as a start. And and uh, do we have any federal research into this? Do we have any states that are in this? What, what are we doing in response? Well, we do. The problem we have is that we are balkanized. I mean, it's fragmented in terms of how we approach this and how we solve it. I mean, a lot of this has been left to private sector because they actually do very good at it. The problem is, though, is to really get the scale, which is called DARPA, the Defense Advanced Research Projects uh, uh, Agency. Scary. By the way, that's where the Internet came from. It was, you know, DARPA invented the original Internet. I've got the original diagram showing how all the nodes went and everything. It was pretty cool. And by the way, that was done because we were concerned that the Russians were going to launch a nuclear weapon, hit Nebraska, where a lot of the copper wire lines were, and that would fuse our entire communication system. So we did it because of uh, Sputnik in Russia. They were advanced. We said, hey, we got to do something. So. Um, so the internet was a response to the creation of Sputnik. Is that what you just said? Yeah, Sputnik created the arms, you know, help. Uh, Said, yeah, hey, it, it was it was it was their leadership in space combined with their uh, nuclear capability that kind of said, hey, look, this is right. at." It was actually right after Sputnik. After Sputnik launched is when uh, the United States government got serious. And I if, like I again, I wrote a whole article about this, just going through the steps about here's what happened. We got serious about it. And so then um, a few months later, we started saying, hey, we got to start doing this. we got to start building this. And that was designed the the Internet's original purpose was to survive a nuclear attack. It was to have redundant capabilities so that if you took out one node, all the other nodes would continue to operate and we could communicate. Fascinating. Now, I also wanted to ask you, we've had this thing going on lately uh, that's got everybody's uh, um, undies all knotted up. Knickers and this, a Twitter. Yeah, all the Twitter knickers. Um, uh, this face app yeah. thing. Right? And so... We wake up and everybody thinks this is fun, some fun Internet game. You know, oh, what am I going to look like in 60, 50 years or 20 years or whatever? Right. OK, fun. We're all going to share this. Yeah. And then somebody goes, hey, who's behind this? Russia. And then we right. find out it's Russia. And now the Russians have photographs of, I mean, millions of millions people. of Americans. Right. And, and and other, you know, people from other countries, of course. So. What's the Dr. Evil plan behind FaceApp? What are they, why did they want all these photos? Why do they want this face recognition capability? What are they doing? 
So, hey, interesting thing, too, just feedback on for your guys at Squadcast. We're sitting here. I hadn't done any, any any action at all. I had a little thing popped up that said, hey, are you still here? So I had to hit yes to say before it logged me out. So, yeah, anyway. I told them they need I told them they need to get rid of that. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, so here's here's what I think. And actually, this relates to Kaspersky antivirus. It is um, a brilliant kind of what we call a false flag operation, for example, what they do with this app, again, remember, it goes back to you and I had this discussion before. Think about pigs. Think about a pig sitting in a barnyard going, hey, isn't this great? Look, we get free food. We get to hang around. We get three squares a day. We get a roof over our head. Yeah, everything's free until we turn you into crispy, tasty bacon. When it's free, you're the product. You're what's being sold. When you send your – and don't, look, here's my belief, too, about these guys – I don't believe a word they say. They say, well, most pictures, most, most pictures are deleted within 48 hours. Ah, yeah, right. Well, we don't, we don't give any of this information. Our data doesn't go to the Russian government. We don't. How do we know? How do we know that your information sitting on my server, if it gets copied, how do I know it's been copied or not? There is no way for me to know my picture's been copied. And now I've just created a massive database of pictures that I can use to train for machine learning, artificial intelligence, facial recognition. Oh, by the way, I could tie a face now back to a phone and start saying, oh, is this a target of interest? Is this a government official? Is this a politician? You know, is Do they work in a certain company? I'm now starting to build a database of people, location information, stuff like that. It's like I'm on a thread with some vets uh, in a Peloton group, man. I love the Peloton. So we have a we have thirteen hundred vets in a Peloton group, and we're just talking about this. Everything between the storming the Area Fifty One, you know, the Russian apps. It's like, guys, it's privacy. It's operation. What they call OPSEC, operational security. Do not when you take a picture and you give it, you, you've lost total control over everything. The minute you do it with that app, you, you know your information is gone. You can never get it back, and it is. Do we know? Do we have any sense for how many uh, people put their faces on this Face App thing and gave it to the Russians? A couple million is what I heard. I mean, I, I was just actually listening to some of the stories I was supposed to do. By the way, a part of it's just being lazy. I was actually supposed to be headed down to Fox Business right now to go do Trish Regan tonight at 8 p.m. because they want to talk about FaceApp. And I'm like, first of all, I'm committed. I've got a podcast to do. Second of all, is it's too effing hot right now. I don't want to leave my house, you know? We have way more listeners than they have viewers anyway. I mean, that's uh, I don't know, dude. I'm telling you. No, that's not. I've... I tell you, I just did a little uh, snippet. Um, I was on Lou Dobbs Monday, Greg, Greg Jared Villain, but we were talking about um, uh, China and some threats because I do ones and zeros. I don't talk politics. I'm about technology, just like you and I are talking. You know, what's the big issues? Yep. And they just put a little snippet about for one minute out on Twitter, and that thing's already got over 18,000 views because we're talking about Google and China and what's going on there and Huawei. And this is a this is a huge topic of interest. But anyway, going back to Russia, um, they, uh, you know, so the reason I say it's Kaspersky, because remember that we ran into a point where they said we can't trust Kaspersky. But think about this. If I want if I was Russia and I wanted to get on every computer in America, what do I send out a CD, say, courtesy of Vladimir Putin and the Kremlin? Please install this. No, I buy a product that says for me to work, you have to give me complete access to your computer. By the way, the guy that they arrested, one of the guys that they arrested, that was an NSA contractor that worked for what was called TAO, Tailored Access Operations, which is the spooky part of NSA that was doing all of this hacking and code breaking and everything else. He took home tools, which he should not have been able to do on a thumb drive, plugged it into his computer. Guess what? Guess what antivirus his computer was running? Kaspersky. Guess where that guess where those tools are most dangerous tools ended up at in a freaking quote um, uh, quarantine lab. In Moscow, Russia. Don't tell me that 
Eugene Kaspersky is not collaborating with the frickin' Russian FSB. Over there, when somebody comes and knocks on your door, the FSB, the SVR, the old, which used to be the KGB until it was broken up. Now it's like AT&T. Now we have two factions, but, um, <laughs> you know, SVR is external. Did you just say the KGB is now like AT&T? Is that what you just said there? They were like the old AT&T when they were broken up. They became a monopoly. So, you know, hey, we got to yeah. break you guys up. So uh, now the F- FSB is internal. Uh, SVR is external. But when the FSB comes, knocks on your door and says, Comrade, we want you to cooperate, you don't, tell Vla- you don't tell Vladimir Putin no and expect your company to survive over there. So They you- don't have Miranda rights, do they? Oh, no, what they have is, uh, you know, give us the information or we shoot you tomorrow at 2. You know? Yeah. And, yeah it's the, look, the fact that they send agents out with polonium to kill uh, people in Great Britain, like what they did, the way they tracked That's them back. That's terrifying. But this they can is, get anybody anywhere, right? Well, this is Vladimir Putin. Remember, he was KGB. That's what he originally did before it broke up and he became, uh, you know, the, the, the prime minister, then the president, then the prime, you know, back and forth. You know, now he's a dictator for life, just like uh, President Xi over in China. You know, they removed all the restrictions. So these guys will serve for as long as they want to. And that both, both of those guys are dangerous, but especially Putin, because of his mindset, the way he thinks America is still the great Satan to them. They have to have an enemy to rally against, and we're, we provide that for both Russia and China. And so uh, let, let's maybe move to the individual level. How do I, as a person, make sure that I don't get um, caught up, uh, or I'll just say the word that's in my mind, I don't get fucked by like a face app or something like yeah. this. Like uh, we now have mil- a couple million folks that the Russians are now getting intimate with, with facial recognition. And then God knows what they're going to do with it. If I was one of those people, I, I don't know, I would be uncomfortable at, at a minimum. But um, so as an individual, and then right. we could talk about what we should be, what the U S should be doing at a country level and maybe NATO, or I don't know, you're going to tell me, but at an individual level, how do I begin to protect my digital self? And frankly, my, my physical self, which I care deeply about. <laughs> well, California, I've got a solution for you, but it involves, you know, weapons and rounds that go, you know, 1800 feet per second. But that's the physical side. But um, no, look, there's, so you mean I should, I should be stockpiling weapons? Uh, you know, look, there's always the chance of a zombie apocalypse. And you're and look, look, when 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 California falls off the edge of the United States, the next there will be. Trust me, you want to see civil unrest. You're going to be able to need to protect your chickens, you know, and your farmhouse out there. Well, you know, it's interesting, this power outage we just had in New York, right? Um, We still don't know what it was. It could have just been too many people with their air conditioners on, or it could have been an attack. We we don't know. How many hours was it down? Do you remember, Morgan? I think it was about four hours, because I was actually, when I got on uh, Fox News Monday night, when I was talking to them, I was talking to Greg Jarrett, because a lot of those places down there, they, they can't afford to be off the air. It doesn't matter if it's CNN or Fox or ABC. So they have these huge generators that kick on, but they were without power in many of those areas for four hours. That's huge yeah. in a city the size of New York. You're talking 10 million people. And not all of New York was out, but a big portion, I think, of Manhattan and stuff. You know, But you're talking about millions of people that were impacted. What about people in elevators and people in nursing homes and people in hospitals? Subways. Subways. You know, you got all of this stuff. So, yeah, here's the thing. People think uh, – Cyber attacks, they think, ah, oh, well, you know, it's not sexy from the standpoint. It's not like if uh, if a terrorist goes into the middle of Times Square, which a couple of them have tried and they try to blow up something, that's immediate. You see that that has a visceral effect because you say people could have died. You know, the uh, Faisal Sazad and Zuzu Jha, or, uh, 
trying to think of the other guy's name. Um, Zaja Bula, I think his name was. But anyway, but the guy had built bombs out of hydrogen peroxide, was going to set them off in Times Square. That's visceral. People can react to that. When you're talking about, oh, it's somebody sitting in a computer and they're just all they're going to do is shut off all the power. You're like, OK, but, you know, what really happens? Well, it's it's a domino one, then two, then four, then eight, then 20. Then pretty soon what you get is the black energy attack that happened over in uh, western Ukraine, December 23rd, 2015. By the way, the Russians have a unique sense of history. December 23rd, 2015 was exactly one year. One year to the date after the Russian part or the, after the Ukrainian parliament voted 333 to 70 to change their status from non-aligned to aligned. The reason you change your status as a nation is so you can join NATO. You mentioned earlier. So the Russians punished Ukraine for changing their status to join NATO because what does Russia not want is a NATO country on their border. By the way, that wasn't the first time that same hydroelectric dam had been attacked. It was called the Zaporizhia hydroelectric dam on the western uh, river called Den- the Dnieper River. It was blown up in 1941 by the Russians as part of Operation Barbarossa when Hitler was invading Russia, was coming in through Ukraine. Stalin set the IDKVD, which is the forerunner to the KGB, to blow up the dam. Over 100,000 Ukrainians were killed. The same dam they attacked in 1941 was the same dam they attacked December 23rd, 2015. So the Russians have this The Russians uh, have this absolute sense of uh, history in terms of how they attack stuff. But, you know, kind of bringing it on. Where were we at? I got off on it. So, that's okay. If there's anybody you can get off on a tangent with, it's me. And, and so I, I have some prepper in me for sure. And, yeah. and, you know, I've read the book. No, no, I think it's called no FEMA. And, you know, we have water and we have, we have medicine and we have food and, and um, I get all that. And I, I think it's, look, I, I don't know that I'm, I'm not, I don't think I'm a crazy prepper. No. Um but I think all of us should have some prepper in us, right? Because we just saw this in New York, and you know, in California, of course, we're concerned about uh, wildfires and and could earthquakes. Be natural disasters could be something as as simple as somebody cut a power cable and you're without power for two hours or four hours during a hundred degree heat, so you're going to need water. You know, a, a moderate, I mean, a, a, an, an appropriate amount of preparation everybody should be doing. You know, you can't, but yeah. but I tend to worry about how long do you think. How long do you think you should be prepared to exist in a uh, without help from FEMA? If if you were advising me to uh, get my uh, prepper shit in order, mm-hmm. how long should I be able to self sustain myself and my family? That's a good question. I mean, because you got to look at first of all, what are the basics, right? Um, definitely water. You know, you got to have water. You got to have food. So dried food stuffs that can get you by. FEMA will not be able to get into an area any earlier than at a minimum, at a minimum, 72 to 96 hours. That's three to four days after an event happens. It just takes two. You got to mobilize. You got to bring stuff in. So at least for that first week, at a minimum of a week, you got to be able to be self-contained, you know, from a food, from a water standpoint. Some people have generators. um, And so then the question is with the generator, you got to start determining what are the critical functions I need to have operate, like maybe a refrigerator because you've got food and foodstuffs in there. Do you need an air conditioner? Yeah, that'd be nice. But then that depletes, you know, makes your generator run longer. You know, you can get by with that, you know. Uh, so you have to really start determining, okay, what is it we want to run? Because um, people who are out like actually where I live out here in uh, northern Virginia, the Blue Ridge Mountains, when the snow comes in bad in some of these areas, people out there that still have their power lines above ground, ours are all buried here. So we've been very fortunate. But over there, yeah, they've got to run generators for two to three days sometimes before their power is restored. So um, it's not it, – it doesn't – let me put it this way. Whether a terrorist blows up a building, it's just a gas pipe that broke up or a tree fell through the roof. When the fire department responds, the fire department still responds. It doesn't matter what the uh, uh, incited the event. 
you, and that's the whole point. It doesn't matter if it's, a, it, it matters to the government, but from you, from a prep standpoint, whether it's a terrorist attack, whether it's a natural disaster, I was down in Australia uh, one week after the big wildfire happened down there uh, in, in uh, Melbourne, in Victoria, north of Melbourne there that killed like 114 people. It was a perfect confluence of events. It was so hot. People were inside there. This fire started raging and stuff. And um, it's just, everything's so dependent. I mean, the hotter it gets, you know, more things can happen. Nobody planned for that fire. And the reason they didn't see it, by the way, the communications went down because there were very few cell towers out there. And because it was so hot, people had their curtains pulled. They couldn't see the fire approaching. So, uh, you know, there's a variety of factors, but it doesn't matter. It wouldn't matter if it was that or if it was a uh, um, Chinese, you know, bomber that came in and blew people up. You're still going to respond to that area. You're still going to prepare regardless of what happens. Now, the government cares because that is now well, you can't you can't blame Mother Nature if it's a tornado or a fire. It's like, okay, but is the fire fire or is the fire arson? Did you hear just about the 30 people that were killed over in Japan in that anime factory? Or that anime studio, no, a guy that. guy went nuts, went in there, sprayed some stuff. I don't know if he's a worker or not, but set fire to an anime studio, and people were trapped, killed over thirty people in there. Now, the fact that he set the fire intentionally, the fire department still responds. You still going to do the, but how the fire started now means okay. Now we have to assign. Uh, attribution. Now we have to assign accountability. Well, you can't assign accountability to Mother Nature for a tornado or a hurricane, but a fire. Yeah. Is it, was it intentionally started? Was it a terrorist attack? That's for the government to worry about, but you as a prepper, you know, in terms of preparing and stuff, it's irrelevant. What the uh, initial event is, is how positive the event is. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, You know, my general thought has been the thing we're most likely to have where, where we live would be an earthquake and that we sort of got to be ready. We got to have our prepper shit ready for two weeks without help. Two weeks worth of meds. Yeah two weeks worth of water, two weeks worth of uh, canned food, beans, rice, et cetera, um, that we got to be able to sustain ourselves and take care of ourselves for about approximately two weeks before uh, FEMA gets shit back together. That That's sort of what we're ready for. I mean, I know there are people who are getting ready to be Adam and Eve when the world goes to <laughs> And so I get, you know, we all got to decide where our lines are, but we have food, water, meds, um, yeah. you know, basic provisions uh for about two weeks yeah and you know and a lot of it will depend upon where you're at too because if you the farther north you get you know and you're talking about winter then the types of things you need to stock are going to differ than if you're in florida and you're talking about a hurricane you don't probably need to stock firewood but you but you know but a lot of times people just don't realize like you say two weeks is probably a good uh target to hit because it takes a while to mobilize all of these people for the federal government to have them come in to start doing the recovery efforts you know, and setting this stuff up. And then it will be, did they bring enough? Did they run out of stuff? You know, so um, let's just hope. When you look at the long tail of some of this stuff, I just saw in the news in the last week or so, they just built the first new home. Um, I'm forgetting the name of the town now, but the the the, the main town where the campfire in California just oh, yeah, tore everybody. Yeah. Um, yeah, the- anyway, I can't remember the name of the town, but they, they you know, and that, that fire was... Uh, Ten months ago, yeah, more. I don't know. I, I can't remember, more, but it was yeah. quite some time now. And so, yeah, there's a long tail to this stuff. Um, and so, what do you think we as a as a nation should be doing that maybe we're not? That's a good question. Um, 
you know, if there, there's no here's the here's the challenge. There's no silver bullet to every answer. I think part of the thing, though, too, is people look at what causes civil disturbance, what causes chaos. It's the lack of preparation, even basic preparation. People, what happens when storms start coming in? What are, where do people run? They run to the store. They run to fill up their gas tanks. They run to do all this stuff. So if you're doing it and a thousand other people are doing it and you've got a thousand people worried about is a storm coming in or something about to happen and they're all there, that's when tempers flare and stuff. So a lot of this is about um, uh, never letting yourself get down to that point. I mean, I'm look, men are bad about letting the gas tank go to E. I've got a picture of my expedition. I'm proud of it. It says zero miles to empty, you know, on my stuff as I'm pulling into the gas station. But quite frankly, you know, if something were to happen, you don't have, uh, you know, what's your bug out kit? You know, in other words, like if you had to pick up and go, do you have enough stuff set up to where you could throw something in there and at least survive? If, if you had to, if you had to evacuate your house, what if you couldn't stay there? Do you have things set up as your go bag, your go kit set up where you can throw stuff into a vehicle and get out? Um, I, I just think and in some cases with these fires, people have two minutes notice. I mean, they got to get very up. little. I mean, yeah. And that's that's what I was talking about. Like in Australia, people had no notice down there because they had their curtains closed. The emergency alert system didn't work in some areas because the fire had burned through cell towers and stuff. So, yeah, you're right. The, the and, and it's you know, here's the other thing, too. It's um, a lot of this is uh, people don't plan enough. Um, they just they don't believe it could happen to them, so they wait. Now, well, no, that you know, that happens to the other guy. It doesn't happen to me. And then when it happens, then they go, "Well, why did it happen to me?" Well, because you didn't do basic preparation. You know, you didn't do basic planning. I mean, we don't get bad storms up here in Northern Virginia. We've had some snowstorms, but as you're watching the weather, you should never be caught off guard by a hurricane, right? Because you get plenty of notice on those things, right? Earthquakes, tornadoes. Well, I, I used to live in the, I used to live in Tahoe in the Sierras, right? And You'd see all these people doing dumb shit on the road. You know, they'd be two thirds of the way up Donner Pass, uh, which I think at its its at its peak is probably pushing up on ten thousand feet. Uh, certainly would be north of uh, eight thousand, and they got a two wheel drive, no chains. Um, you know, no no chains. They're sliding all over the place. They got a minivan and their family, and they're putting on. Ch- and you're like. You don't accidentally end up in the Sierras during a snowstorm. You're freaking mental, right? And and the to, to your point, the lack of prep that we got to see up close is incredible. You know, we hear all these hikers uh, of late going, um, uh, getting lost, and 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 some of them die and some of them don't. Well, guess what? I have a device. I forget the name of it now. Um, uh, Garment bought the company. It was an independent company prior to that. But it's a two-way satellite communicator. Works everywhere on planet Earth. Yep. I don't go anywhere without it. It's in my car at all times, right? And uh, for example, me and my buddies just went on a, uh, a couple-day rafting trip. Well, that's my most important piece of gear because we're going to be up in the Sierras rafting, and if the shit hits the fan, I need to be able to communicate, right? And there are very and few so, cell towers built along the edge of the river. There, they don't build them there. There are none. That's the beauty of it. That's a benefit to going, yep. right? But at the same time, and look, I trust the guides and they're prepared and all that kind of stuff. But to your point, I was a Cub Scout, and what they what did they teach us? Be prepared. Yeah. I got a knife. I got a communicator. You know, I got my basic provisions. I got uh, cl- clothes and backpacks. You know, I got what I need so that if, God forbid, something bad happens, I can handle myself, right? We all have to be in a position to handle ourselves. And, and let me tell you, I think this is part of the problem. Here's the culture. Here's the society we become. Because when shit goes on now, when something bad's going on, instead of people preparing or getting involved, what are they doing? 
They are video. They are. I know. They're recording stuff. It's it's like oh, it's crazy. It's living vicariously. Oh, let me record this. It's going on instead of going. Somebody hop in and help the guy. It's like when I see the police officers that are trying to arrest somebody and everybody's standing around just video. It's like what happened to the good old days when people it was just like somebody's there's a fight going on. Break it up. No, we want to record it. I think what happens is a lot of these folks they just they. They have we become to the point of where the the actual implications, the actual consequences of doing something have been so uh, socialized to the point of where it's it's nothing more than a funny video now on Facebook or on YouTube. They don't realize that this is real life, that this is real stuff going on. And that when you go out, I'll tell you, in one of the episodes I saw on the on the border thing I was telling you about on Netflix, the U.S. Customs couldn't stop these guys going across because they wanted to go into Canada. But these guys were going to go hiking up in this area. And he's like, guys, it's like cold up there. It's this. They, they don't have – they got tennis shoes on. They don't have cold weather gear. They got maybe two bottles of water. And it's like, do you guys have any self-awareness of what's what you're walking into? And I think that's part of the problem. People, they don't, they don't take it seriously anymore because they're deluged with all of this stuff on social media about all of these videos and stuff going on. It doesn't have the same impact it used to. When somebody told me when I was a state trooper, I remember going home one time. This was before I even had handheld radios on my belt. I didn't have a handheld radio. If I wanted to communicate when I got out of a car during a traffic stop, I had to flip on my outside speaker. Or like when I went home, they would have to call me on the telephone. I'd say, look, I'm, you know, uh, uh, 1042, which means, you know, I'm, I'm having, you know, taken a 1010, taking a break at the house. They would call me. So I remember walking in one day and they go, Oh, hey, uh, look out your, you know, to the west. We think our tornado's coming. And I walk out the door. I stick my head out there. There was a tornado coming down, hitting the ground. It literally hit the ground, bounced over our house and went into a field. And it's like there's not that appreciation anymore for like, dudes, this is real stuff. If you're going to go up the pass, first of all, ask yourself, what's so important you got to go up the pass for? Second of all, if you do have to go for some reason, are you prepared? Do you have food? Do you have water? Do you have blankets? Do you have flares? Do you have communications devices? I will tell you right now, if you go out uh, on, uh, I live in Northern Virginia, the, the the DC area, there are so many people, they break down on the side of the road. They don't even have basic stuff like flares or reflectors or anything else. And you can't, you can't see them. Just basic stuff. Yeah. My favorite, or one of my favorite stories about this, uh, me and my buddies were at Squaw Valley one time and it was, you know, storming oh, yeah. and as a skier. I love to ski during the storms and, but you know, you got to be ready. We're avalanche certified. We have AVI packs We're we're wearing beacons we got shovels we got probes we got knives we got you know we got the basic tools and the skills the certification to deal with skiing and pow but we were inbounds anyway i was we were making this little run from one section to another to get to the run that we wanted and this this guy as i'm moving alongside him and there's almost zero visibility but you can see a few people here and there as you get close to them this guy starts yelling at me as he can see me coming towards him. And I can't tell what he's saying. And so I stop next to him and I say, you know, what's up? And I can see there's that, that sort of panic look on his face. And he says, I got to ask you a question. I said, okay. He says, how do you turn? I said, you mean like on your skis? And he said, yeah. And this was a beginner that somehow in a very real snowstorm, got to the top of Squaw fucking Valley in the Sierras. Like, dude, what are you doing up here, man? You can't ski. You should be on the bunny hill at the bottom right now. Like, what are you doing here? Yeah. How do you turn? <laughs> oh, well, but but the, the, again, it goes back to the lack of self-awareness. It's um, There is a great book 
Gavin De Becker wrote, and it's called The Gift of Fear. And I've actually used a couple quotes out of there, but that is we have learned to not trust our instincts and question things because we've been so desensitized because of all the social media, all the stuff that we see. News is a 24-7 cycle. Remember the old jokes you'll see the internet memes? Remember when the TV used to shut off at midnight, you'd get the test pattern and it wouldn't come back on until 5 o'clock in the morning? Now it's 24-7 news cycle. Everything's repeating. I think people have gotten so desensitized, nothing means anything to them anymore. It's like, oh, there's a fire out here. Well, cool, I'm going to go grab my camera and go record it because I want to be able to share it with my friends and see how many likes I get. Yeah. The other one, and I know this makes me a bad person, and I don't 100% mean mean what I'm about to say, but you know, we keep hearing about these deaths of people taking selfies and like falling off into the Grand Canyon or whatever, whatever you know, killing themselves with a selfie. And totally candid, there's part of me that goes, well, good. You just won a Darwin Award out of the gene pool. Like self-selection. And I don't quite mean it that way. Right. I mean, of course, when people die, doing stupid things is terrible. So I'm not a totally horrible human being. But there is there is that dimension where it's like, really? The selfie was that fucking important? You couldn't just stand there and enjoy the Grand Canyon? People are so worried about taking pictures and doing stuff like the selfies. They forget to just have fun with them. And I've been bad about that too. Look, I live my life through pictures and stuff, but at some point you got to just step back and go, just take a, I heard it on a meditation lesson this morning. I, I love the call map and the Japanese have a word for it. It's called forest bathing. It's just like, just go into the forest. It's called what? Forest bathing. Like not, like not forest, like the, the, like the forest, you know, the trees, the forest the bathing. Trees are, yeah. You just go in bathing, bathing and you just go in there with no um, no agenda, no nothing, no devices, nothing. But you sit in there and you let the um, you you let nature surround you, give you wash over you, give you a bath. You listen to the birds, you listen to the wind, you listen to the rustle of the trees. You listen. So they call it force bathing. Is how do you just become aware of what's happening around you? And that's a lot of stuff that I saw with people. One of the big things you know, you're in law enforcement, military. It's always about your situation awareness. Is like. You got to have that. You got to have that head on a swivel. When I was in Pakistan doing stuff for the State Department, we were in Islamabad. This is around 2005. We were getting along with the Pakistanis, but we weren't. Ex- there were some Pakistanis who didn't like Americans, and so um, I stand out pretty much. You know, I walk around. Do I still have the badge here? Let me see. Yeah, you're a pretty white white guy. That's for sure. Stand out on that dimension. Yeah, let me see here. Um, show me your badge. Yeah. U.S. Embassy. Wow, that's awesome. That's a very cool badge, Islamabad, Pakistan. Yeah, so that's how I looked walking around Islamabad. So the white dude from America stands out, you know? Yeah. And so it was, they said it was relatively safe as long as we stayed in what's called the blue area. But I'm telling you, the whole time we're walking around, heads on a swivel like this, it's like um, backs up against the wall. You walk into a place, you know, you step back, you watch who's watching you and stuff. And that's that's not being paranoid. That's just good. You know, you, you just got to take care of yourself. But we've lost a lot of that. The reason people do this with selfie, they don't know how close they're getting. It's more important to do this than it is to go, my God, look at that, you know, or just even if you wanted to do that, where am I at? Ground yourself. Go, hey, look, where am I at? What's going to happen? There's it's it's we we become too. it's it's the selfie society. It's the and look, I agree with you. one of the ones I love is to watch people walk through it a road intersection and their head down the entire while on their phone. Yeah. You're walking through. 
The other one that blows me away is people move physical environments with their head down on their phone. So they exit a building and they come onto a sidewalk or they exit the sidewalk and come into the building. I don't know where I learned this or why I figured this out, but particularly when there's a change in your physical environment, I, when I walk out of a building, I look both ways. I was taught as a kid, when you cross the street, look both ways. I, I, you know, I don't know how I got, and I'm not saying I'm perfect or anything like that, but I have some situational awareness when I'm in a restaurant, what's going on. When I get on a plane ever since nine 11, I sit there and I watch who comes on the plane. I look at their behavior. You know, I fly at the front of the bus. I know who's sitting up there with me. Right. I, I watch the demeanor of the flight attendants. Like, I don't know. In a post 9-11 world, don't we need to pay a little bit more attention? I, I mean, I don't think we need to freak ourselves out, but I certainly try to be more situationally aware. Yeah, you, you've got to this, the world. You take the world as you find it, not as you wish it was. Do I wish it was like the 1950s again or the 1960s to where um, little Peggy March came out and saying, I love him. I love him. And she had the white gloves on and, you know, and the bouffant hair and everything was cool back then. Well, you can wish all you want. It just, do you take the world as you find it? Things have changed. Doesn't matter why things have changed. That's social issues. The fact is things have changed. Um, I'm very cognizant too, about going into places. Northern Virginia uh, is a, is a rich target area because by the way, from a physical standpoint, 80% of the world's internet traffic goes through Loudoun County, Virginia, right where I sit. We have data centers left and right out here. So it's a physical target. Um, right after 9-11, guess what? I passed two of the hijackers that morning, three of the hijackers that morning going to Dulles Airport because I live, come down, come from Dulles Airport and come into Washington, D.C. I was in the Reagan building. We were supposed to be in the Pentagon that morning. Our meetings got flipped. I'm in the Reagan building. So I'm passing these guys. One year later, what do we have? The D.C. snipers. My God, you know, you think what else could go on? But it's like you had to, you don't live in fear, but that goes back to that book, the Gavin, the Becker book, The Gift of Fear. You've got to start trusting your instincts. One of the ways a woman got attacked and raped was a guy, she was carrying a couple bags in. A guy says, hey, I'll help you. Don't worry. He said, no, don't worry. I'm okay. It's okay. You know, I'll just help carry it up to the stairs. And against her better judgment, she let him go up there. He said, here, let me just set it on the table. And when he did that, he closed the door and he attacked her. And she was lucky she survived. It's that gift of fear. It doesn't mean you have to live fearfully. But when you see something and you feel something that says, hey, this is out of whack. Look, um, I take measures and I won't describe them here because I, you know, I want to stay mysterious and dangerous. But I take measures to protect myself when I am uh, out in public. Um, I, I will never, ever again, especially after the D.C. sniper, I will never, ever again allow myself to be in a situation where I don't have the capacity to respond. Mm, wow. On that happy note, is there anything else you want to touch on before we, <laughs> before we kick out? So, hey, I, oh, we're getting attacked by Russia and China. Pardon me. And we're losing. Pardon me. I have, to, okay, great. I have to shoot a Chinese spy that's coming in through my door. No, um, I will yeah. tell you. Here's, here's something I would tell people to think about. This. Let me bring back one thing. I just wanted to give people a quick takeaway because they say, what can people do, you know, themselves? There's two things you look at in this day and age, and I'll tell you the two biggest things are security and privacy, right? So we're worried about all those things. So look at security, privacy in the context of how you connect to things like your wireless network or, you know, you connect over the Internet, how you do that. The connect the security and privacy of your devices and then the security and privacy of your data. If you will just just make it very simple, it's security, privacy of your connectivity, your device and your data. If you'll just keep that in mind and say, I just need to do the things that, how do I get security on my device? Well, then how do I get privacy on my device? How do I get security of my data? Well, how do I get privacy of my data? If you will just take that quick step, 
then you'll start learning about things like two-factor authentication and VPNs and encryption. And you will start saying, hey, guess what I should? Don't accept every website. I, believe it or not, a lot of these, uh, after GDPR, I get a lot of sites to say we manage. I go in and I turn a lot of that stuff off. I don't allow them to collect because I can do that now. I couldn't do that before. So, again, I think it's. But I always think of you every time I go to a Starbucks or like a public Wi-Fi because I think it was the first time you and I, I met know what you're you gonna said public Wi-Fi is like licking a toilet seat. I didn't say that that was a lawyer from the NSA who said that I was moderating a panel for MIT folks. And I said that. Well, you parroted it and I attributed it to you. And I tell you, but that's a, that's exactly a great visual. And so that's, you know, you, you think about, hey, look, I'll tell you, there's a, um, um, a couple of VPNs out there. I mean, there is just stuff out there that is um, so easy to use. You know, it just, in fact, the one I use, um, I keep forgetting the name. Um, it's called Proton. Proton VPN, P-R-O-T-O-N. There's a free version of it. Uh, they have free version for email too, but Proton VPN. You can connect up to five devices. It's actually pretty fast. Um, just, yeah, folks, connect. You know, this whole thing about, well, it's not me. I don't, nobody really wants to attack me. No, they don't want to attack you specifically. But when I'm trying to get ransomware into a, a company, I'm spraying and praying everybody. I'm, I, I don't care who clicks. I just want someone to click. And if you're that someone, you're the one that just let ransomware in the front door of a hospital, the front door of a government institution, the front door of a bank, whatever it is. So the same, you don't, you don't, you shouldn't act differently at work than what you do at home. If you have bad habits at home, you will have bad habits at work. And if you have bad habits at work, you'll have bad habits at home. Get one set of good habits and apply them no matter whether you're at work or at home. Treat treat it the same way. Treat your privacy and security like they are a, a bar of gold that if you lose it, you don't get it back, you know? Because that's what it is. It's gold to somebody else. Somebody's selling your information. And the other thing I like to tell people is um, the IRS or the police department is never going to call you and tell you that you owe them money. And the way you have to pay them back is through Costco gift cards. You know, this this goes. <laughs> this happens. No, look. Right. It happens. This happens all the time and, and guess people what? fucking do it. It's because these guys create a sense of urgency and a sense of fear. And if you don't take action now, we're sending the police to your house. Well, if people just understood the history of why we had the revolution, at least in the United States, we're not a debtor nation. You can't go to jail for not paying your debts. You know, you just because you, I owe you money and I can't pay you, does it, you can't throw me into prison and I stay there until I raise the money to pay you. We haven't done that for years, but the ones that fall victim to this are the people who don't listen to that little voice in their inner ear that goes, this is bullshit. I take, I get so many of those calls. I've got so many of those recorded, Chris. I play them for people. I said, this is what it sounds like, you know? And it's, I, my favorite question used to be back when the IRS commissioner guy's name was Koskinen. It was difficult for somebody from Pakistan or India to say that. I said, hey, by the way, I, I, I only owe you three grand. I thought it was 10 grand. I'm willing to settle for three grand if you are. By the way, I'll pay you 10 grand, though, if you can just answer one question. And, of course, they go, well, what is that? I said, "Who's what's the name of your boss? Uh, and then they started getting wise to it, and they started saying, oh, it is Koska, 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 you know, Koskinen? Yeah, him. No, he he got fired. It's, you know, it's this new person. So, look, just <laughs> don't, don't try this at home, folks. Only trained professionals should be doing this. But exactly. it goes back to that inner voice, whether it's you're out in public. Just just keep that with self-awareness. Keep Keep a look what's going on. And I'll tell you the last final story, nothing I was, that was impressed upon me in a way I hadn't thought about when I came out of Heathrow airport one time coming back actually from Pakistan, I was going to a, a, a 
a Christmas party for the folks at what's called SO15. It's anti-terrorism branch over at Scotland Yard. I come out of Heathrow. I've been traveling. I'm tired. I start to walk across. I look right. I look left. Guess what? I've what I realized. The vehicles in UK come from the opposite direction than they do in the US. I almost stepped off and this black cab hits it horn because I was like three feet away from stepping out in front of a black cab, you know, because I just, I just, oh, I'm too tired and I lost that situation awareness. And at three feet from, we may not have been having this uh, discussion, you know. Were you, were you on your uh, smartphone? No, actually that, that time uh, the phones, um, it was different. That was a different environment back then. By the way, if you walk across the threshold, this almost happened to me in Turkey. I was talking and I was talking to a guy and I was getting ready to put it up. We're going into what's called a SCIF, a secure compartment and information facility. If you step across, if here's the line and your foot is right here, you're safe. If your foot goes like this, the phone stays in that SCIF. It cannot come out of it because they don't, uh-huh. it's, it's fatally compromised at that point. So yeah, yeah, every, even little things like that make a difference. So I learned a lot of times is, Take the it's the carpenter's advice. Measure twice, cut once. So look, 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 double check, and then then take action. But these these folks, these these folks will continue to be the objects of YouTube videos and social media memes um, until we get a little bit of self awareness. Morgan, I love you. Love you, brother. You're awesome. Thank you, sir. You're 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 you um you are the Bill Walton of security. Hanging out with you. Is is attention deficit theater <laughs> in the domain of privacy and security, and it's fantastic. Uh, I think you're awesome. I love you. I, I want you to come back, hopefully more often. Anytime. I'm glad to see you're safe and happy. And uh, thank you, brother. Anytime you work, Tommy Bahama, you're always happy. <laughs> Thanks, Morgan. There he is, the security guru to the stars. <laughs> always eye opening. And uh, fascinating. Um, Now, I want to tell you about my friends at NetSuite. NetSuite is the category king in cloud ERP. That's because they offer growing businesses a cloud-based business management platform that gives you real-time visibility into all the key areas of your business. One unified business management suite to rule them all. (laughs) Fast-growing companies like Lucky Jeans, the Boston Globe, Honey Stinger, Honey Stinger, by the way, they make these yummy uh, energy snacks that I love to take uh, in the backcountry. Williams-Sonoma, Blue Microphones. And speaking of backcountry, My Tent from Big Agnes Tents, and they make other backcountry gear. All these folks and uh, many others use NetSuite, and that's because NetSuite is the platform for growth. From uh, early stages, if you're just getting started in the garage, to taking your company public, and beyond. NetSuite is what you need. And they're offering you, a listener to this podcast, a free one-hour growth review with an expert in your industry. Because NetSuite has tailored capabilities for almost any kind of business, whether you're an online retail business, uh, you're in B2B, you're a services company, whatever you're up to, there's probably a flavor of NetSuite for you. So go to netsuite.com different, set up your free one-hour growth review with an expert in your industry, and uh, you'll take the next step to growing your business because if you're going to grow, we need, you need to know. You need to know what's going on. You need to know what's up with your numbers. And that's why you need NetSuite. All right. We would like to thank Niche Down, my latest book with the amazing Heather Clancy. It hit number one on Amazon. Thanks in no small part to you. You know, it's interesting. 
Uh, Niche Down was number one on day one it launched, and Play Bigger has done incredibly well, but we didn't hit number one. I know what the difference was. It was because listeners to this podcast bought that book, and I can't thank you enough. And if you haven't picked it up yet, by all means, NetSuite, uh, NetSuite. <laughs> Niche Down <laughs> on Amazon.com. One of my favorite nonprofits, OneLifeFullyLive.org. This is the nonprofit helping you dream, plan, and live your best life. Think about all the personal growth, all the personal development, financial uh, development stuff. Uh, One Life has tried to pull all that together, put it to uh, put it to use in amazingly easy, consumable uh, forms. We have an awesome event that we do. Learn more at OneLifeFullyLive.org/clockhead. Spiro, this is the sales app for salespeople and sales managers who like to make money leveraging the power of AI. Check out Spiro, S-P-I-R-O dot A-I today. Now, are you in the excited states and you a technology company looking to do legendary marketing in Europe? Then why not check out my friends at PositiveMarketing.com. Legendary marketing and category design and PR and all the good stuff in the beautiful, uh, excited kingdom. Check them out. Um, interview Valet, if you're a thought leader and you want to get your leading thoughts on some of the top podcasts, check out my friends at interviewvalet.com and a book that I love called Disrupting Digital Business by my friend and multi-time guest on this podcast, Ray Wang. Check it out. And another uh, fantastic charity that I support called DonorsChoose.org, uh, helping you support teachers all across the United States. Check them out today. All right, I need to remind you that this podcast is only for people who uh, value inspiring, real, different conversations, and it's the sole property of the Lockhead Oddcast Network. And we promise this podcast is never tested on GMOs. All rights do remain perturbed. Uh, we must warn you that the creators of this podcast may have been consuming libations. We are produced by the incredible Jamie Jane Sarah Knox, edited by Mike D. Show notes by Diane Gervasio. Newsletter by Karen Onahog. And we've been trying to step our newsletter game up. Check out lockhead.com. And while you're there, hit that subscribe to the newsletter button. We'll send you the first um, chapter of Niche Down just for doing it. And then we'll send you good stuff almost every week. We promise it won't be crapola. And we will never, over my dead body, sell your email address to anybody. Uh, analytics by Roan Nostros and website development by the incomparable Sherwin Amel. All right, uh, don't forget to listen to Lincoln Park. Support your local security guru. Don't be lame. Get out of the passing lane. Remember, it's illegal in much of the United States to go slow in the left-hand lane. Thank you, Candy Dandy. Uh, love you, Mom and Dad. And uh, hey, Colin, you better watch out for Putin. <laughs> Today, our deepest apologies go to Equifax CEO Richard Smith. Sorry, Dick. We just ran out of time for you. That's it, my friends. Thank you so much. Please stay legendary. And until we're together again, follow your difference.